All right. Terrifying women with just one woman today. Hi there. This is Kelly, and you are listening to Terrifying Women. Good afternoon, or morning, or evening, or whatever time of day it is, and welcome to Terrifying Women. Today it's just me, just Kelly. Yeah, Mark had a family emergency, so we had planned on doing a happy hour episode where he and I have a couple drinks, and uh, you all learn about us and why we're doing this, but that is not happening So hopefully that'll be our next episode, because I am really looking forward to that. But today, it's just me. So just me, and you're going to get a kind of a geeky, in-depth view of a movie. And I don't know, I'm going to record this in parts, because it's a movie in parts. It's uh, Today we're talking about XX, which is an anthology. Uh, that is entirely written and directed by women. So I'm going to record each of the sections separately, and hopefully what comes together is one coherent podcast. Fingers crossed. Let's uh, let's just see how this plays out, okay? So XX is a 2017 film, and like I said, it is an anthology that is entirely written and directed by women. Overall, I really enjoyed XX. Just as a whole, I thought it was well done. I'm not a big anthology fan in general, but I did really, really enjoy this one. I'm not sure everything hit horror in the way that I want horror to hit, but yeah, I I did like it. So the first, the first little short is uh, called The Box. And the box is based on a Jack Ketchum short story. And Jack Ketchum was really one of the one of the writers of slightly off mainstream horror. Um, his stuff tends to be a little more on the uh, gruesome and shocking side of horror than like King or Kuntz or even Elborn. You may know Ketchum for uh Ketchum did a couple of other or a couple of other stories that were adapted into movies that were pretty popular. One being The Girl Next Door, which was loosely based on the 1965 murder of Sylvia Likens, uh, which if you want to know more about, it's a truly horrifying story. And uh, pretty much every true crime prog- podcaster has done an episode on on her case. Um, go into it with all of the trigger warnings, just all of them. And uh, let's see, he also wrote The Woman, which felt like it was a derivation of The Girl Next Door. Um, but And as a film, it yeah, it's not something that we see often, nor should we. Uh, it's, it's not the kind of thing that I would ever want to be mainstreamed, but I, it, that that doesn't mean it's not valuable. So uh, anyway, yeah, he's um, 
definitely an author worth checking out if you are looking for more horror book recommendations. So he wrote this story and it's a it's a super short story. It's maybe 5,500 words. And it was based on an idea that he a friend of his gave to him uh, on a cocktail napkin that just you know was stuck to his fridge for quite a while before it really clicked with how he was gonna how he was gonna write it. And the cocktail napkin idea was it's the middle of the depression and one boy refuses to eat. That's that's pretty much it. So he let that marinate for a while. And then, you know, as things happen in writer brains, something happened in his real life that sort of made all of that click together. And so he pulled it out, dusted it off and popped it into the short story. So it did. It won a Bram Stoker Award, you know. So it's a, it's, it's, it's certainly not obscure. However, it was adapted by Jovenka Vukovic. And I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. It's V-U-C-K-O-V-I-C. And she is kind of an amazing woman. Uh, she started in visual effects in Canada, where she won a Gemini Award, just kind of like a Canadian Emmy. And then she moved to the editor of Rue Morgue uh, for six years. And Rue Morgue is a horror magazine. Um, I know Mark subscribes to it. I always pick it up when I'm at their house. Uh, and it was really there that she cemented herself as one of the most influential women in horror. And from there, she has moved into doing her own films. Uh, her first film, The Captured Bird, uh, was financed and or produced entirely by Giro del Toro. Um, so, you know, she's she's made some friends in the biz. And she does good work. I really, I really, this is, I think, the first thing of hers that I had ever seen. And I truly enjoyed it. So it, it sticks pretty true to the Ketchum story, except for a couple of what seem like minor updates. But to me, they change the story dramatically. And they take it into a much more personal horror area. And I don't I don't know if that's a gender-based reaction or I and I this is CMS. This is where I wish I had Mark to talk about it with because I'd I'd like to I'd like his take on the original story versus the adaptation. There the major changes that she makes are first of all a gender flip in parental responsibilities. And normally, you know, a lot of movies do the gender flip thing. It's uh, kind of the new standard and, oh, but, you know, what if we did this, but with women? Isn't that progressive? I mean, and it's it's not. You know, it's it's just meh. Um, you know, Ghostbusters with girls was Ghostbusters with girls, and they didn't really update anything else about that experience but this having the gender flip made it uh very definitely different because the first thing it did was it emphasized the family dynamic the changes in the family dynamic whereas the original story was based around a say i don't know 
it, it doesn't give a time frame, but I'm going to call it mid fifties, nuclear family, uh, stay at home, mom, uh, work in the city. Dad commutes home to the suburbs every night. Dad is pretty detached from the family. And that detachment is part of the story. Uh, mom is the primary caregiver and worrier and all of that. So that flip on its own, just that dynamic on its own, turning that around, that is something that we're still struggling with. I mean, it it should not be a big deal that a woman is the breadwinner while the man is the home caretaker. But even, you know, we're a quarter of the way through the 21st century and uh, it's it is it's still a big deal. So that that alone is a pretty significant change just in doing that. It shows us a a different angle on the whole family dynamic, particularly where as things deteriorate throughout the story, it's dad who starts losing it and mom who is concerned, but also more detached. You know, I mean, she's she's having dinner with the family every night and, you know, she minimizes his concerns and um, dismisses a lot of his input and, and, you know, just giving him very standard platitudes of everything's going to be fine. It's going to be okay, which is, you know, a behavior that men, particularly men in horror, display all the time, you know, enough that it's. It's kind of a trope at this point where wife is concerned, man poo-poos it, everyone dies. So seeing that that uh, flipped was a little refreshing, and it definitely definitely was more uncomfortable than than the more standard definition of family. And then the second major change in that um, is the is there's a dream sequence, and the dream doesn't it doesn't happen in the original story but and i think that's because it to me feels like it is inherently feminine uh in the dream she she wakes up and she is uh, displayed on the table just you know she's lying across the dining room table and her family is feasting from her they're they're carving chunks off of her physical body and they are absolutely relishing her flesh. And it, it, it really is the only gruesome bit, gruesome bit of this story. But it is very well done. And throughout the entire thing, she has a very serene and contented smile on her face. And when I say that this feels innately feminine, it's that women are expected to give everything of themselves to the family. And it's kind of a, a horrific vision of pregnancy and early infancy where we literally nourish our children with our bodies. And this feels like a commentary on that. And it's additionally significant because it's new. So throughout the, the short story, Ketchum goes on about how detached his main character is, his the, the dad character, how he how detached he feels from the rest of the family but there's no there's never any sense of him reckoning with that and there's it's not expected at all like they, it didn't feel like the story was missing that certainly it's just not something that we expect from men but 
this dream sequence where she is feeding her family with her flesh, it feels like her um, her punishment for being the detached breadwinner, um, slightly emotionally re- removed from the rest of the family. And this this dream sequence happens really right before the climax of the film, which is Christmas morning. And by then, she's the only one who's still eating. She's the only one. By then, she's the only one unaffected uh, by the device. And everyone is happy and laughing. And they're, they're having a really great Christmas. And it feels like for the first time through the whole story, it feels like she is actually a participant in that and not just an observer, which makes the dream that kind of turning point for her. Uh, and I, I feel like without it, even though the original story was not at all incomplete without the dream, in many ways, the dream is the most significant part of Vukovic's adaptation. It is what gives the main character, it's what gives us any sort of sympathy, empathy for her, is is this dream. Uh, And then the ending, um, and I'm really trying not to be spoilery with this. I don't know how that's going to work out. Sorry, I know Mark is really anti-spoiler on the pod. I... On the other hand, kind of want to give you guys more context as to what we're talking about, but I get his point. So we're going to, I'm going to try to stick to keeping these as spoiler free as possible while still talking about what's going on in each of these sections. So the non-spoiler, spoilery, spoiled? I don't know. (laughs) The most vague description of the ending that i can give while still being able to talk about the ending (laughs) is that she is left searching for answers and all of that searching in the original story and that is all right it is the exact same ending as the original story like i said without the two major changes that got us there so in the original story, where he is left searching for answers, it definitely feels vague and undefined and almost a little unbelievable. Whereas when she finds herself searching for those exact same answers, because of this dream sequence that had been added, it feels a lot more believable that she would want those answers um, because she has acknowledged and dealt with her own emotional detachment at this point, whereas he is just lost. And I don't think he's even aware that that emotional detachment has uh, was really what affected him. I'm not even sure Ketchum was aware of that. Because I, it it really that did not seem to be the point of his story, whereas it feels very much like it's the point of Vukovic's adaptation, and so that that makes it 
I think, a much more woman-centric story um, in that way. So that was The Box by Jovanka Vukovic. That one I give a solid four stars to. Uh, like I said, truly enjoyed it. I particularly enjoyed the changes in the story. Um, if you want to read the Ketchum story, I know it's Kindle edition is available for like 99 cents. None of the libraries in my library network had it available, uh, but that doesn't mean your library won't. But, you know, 99 cents isn't a bad price for a, a short story. And do your own compare and contrast with it if you'd like uh, I, I really would like to hear how other people view this um it's like i said it it seems very innately feminine to me but that's just my opinion so there's our first section of xx next up the birthday party we're back with the birthday party this little short was directed by saint vincent under the name annie clark and it was written by her as well but co-written by roxanne benjamin who we will get into a little later on saint vincent is primarily a musician she's won three grammys she does this uh kind of atmospheric pop rock sort of music she reminds me of florence and the machine kind of Goldfrap, kind of Kate Bush, kind of. I find her very listenable. I enjoy her, but you know, I like a good dance beat. So, so that is her main focus. From a cinema standpoint, she has done this one. Uh, she did in 2020 a the story of a documentary being made of a musician played by her uh, that she co-wrote with Carrie Brownstein, who you may know from either her band Slater Kenny or the hit TV series Portlandia. So uh, she also has an upcoming project and IMDB shows no release date yet or any other details. I don't know if it's a short or a feature length film, but it is a, uh, a new look at Portrait of Dorian Gray. So I don't know. I At the very least, I guarantee it's going to be beautiful and beautifully scored. So horror really isn't her genre as a whole. And that tracks for this segment because this did not hit horror for me. I mean, it came really close to horror comedy, but it also didn't quite hit comedy. It was just kind of in this uncomfortable no man's land between the two. I will say it was absolutely beautiful. The aesthetic top to bottom was gorgeous. Everything was absolutely perfect. Uh, and soundtrack, stunning, amazing. Uh, honestly, a good score can make or break any piece of film. And I really feel like the score made this one. It felt a lot more like an extended music video than it did a short film to me. But that's not to say that it was bad at all. Like I said, I enjoyed it. It just didn't quite hit horror. And stars Melanie Lesky from Yellow Jackets. And she carries this thing. She carries this entire story on her back from top to bottom. She is absolute perfection in this role. The only other major speaking role in the film 
is uh, by Sheila Van, who plays Melanie's, I don't know if she's an assistant or a housekeeper or what her position in the home is, but she is giving Morticia Adams office vibes and I love her. I absolutely love her. She is clearly cannot be bothered with anything. Um, she's wearing an inappropriate black business suit for I don't know. I don't know what her position is. Whether it's if it's an assistant to a suburban housewife who's throwing a birthday party, or if it's housekeeper. Either way, this business suit, you know, skirt, blazer, heels, hair barely severely coiffed, not a single hair out of place. None of that is fits with whatever her job is, but I love it. I love anyone who is so committed to their look that they will take it wherever, regardless of what they need to be doing. I fully expect her to be pulling weeds in elbow length black gloves and never once having a speck of dirt on that outfit. She's perfect and amazing. So the gist of this story is something terrible happens on the morning of Melanie's daughter's birthday party, and she needs to keep it from her daughter. That's that's the basic. We spend all day as she's running around trying to hide the details of this tragedy from her daughter. And that's how it almost hits comedy for me in that there's a lot of like near misses and um, sidetrack and, and distractions and all of that good stuff her it's so close I'll, I'll i mean honestly you could have plopped yakety sacks over a large chunk of it and it would have made perfect benny hill sense in the end it's she's not successful and uh, everyone is traumatized and and that's it that's that's the whole thing uh like i said it was it was good it wasn't great it's just a a three-star man it's beautiful absolutely gorgeous but it just it just neither hits horror nor comedy for me. It just is kind of falling into that no man's land between the two that it's just a just a miss on both parts. It does it does sort of bring home this tradition of women being the constant organizers and having to deal with all of the details for an event to make sure that it comes off without a hitch, regardless of what's going on behind the scenes. It is Melanie Lesky's job as the mother to make sure that her daughter's birthday party goes perfectly, lest she be judged poorly by not only her daughter, but the neighborhood moms, you know, that she's there are interactions with the the even the the neighbor who whose child cannot make it to the party. That mother is still coming and expects perfection. She has already she she sets up early on that she is um she will be comparing this party to a previous neighborhood birthday party where they had special events and guests of honor and entertainment. She has to. Melanie has to maintain this party. This party has to come off without a hitch and no one can know about this tragedy that's happened. Otherwise, it will put a damper over everyone's experience. And it is pretty clear that they will do everything but drive her out of the neighborhood if this eight-year-old's birthday party doesn't go well. Now, we don't know what happens when it doesn't go well. Who's, who's to say? But 
for a fact, the neighbors will be talking and the daughter will be traumatized. And it's just, it's not going to, it's not going to be good for her. But yeah, overall, I'm going to give the birthday party a three stars. It was okay. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. The the visuals and Melanie Lesky and Sheila Vand absolutely make this segment for me. Um, the writing is meh. The direction is meh. So that's that's the birthday party. Next up, we have Roxanne Benjamin's entry with Don't Fall. We are back with Don't Fall, which is the third segment of the anthology XX, which is written and directed by Roxanne Benjamin. Now, I first became aware of Roxanne Benjamin in 2015, where she uh, wrote and directed a segment of the anthology Southbound, which was a fun watch. Um, I remember I drove up so that I could see it uh, with Mark and Caroline in this adorable little indie nonprofit art house theater. And uh, we, we really, we really liked it. It, we had a good time. I'm pretty sure that that was one where there was a Q&A after with directors and some of the production crew. Yeah, it was it was good. If you have an art house, if you have an independent theater in your neighborhood, support it. You know, they're not going to have the luxury seating, but they are going to have local money. Roxanne Benjamin started in production with uh, VHS and VHS2. Her first full feature film was Body at Brighton Rock, and it had pretty good tension all the way throughout. Uh, it's a woman spends the night in peril sort of story. It's currently streaming. It was it was uh, pretty good. And her next one, you might remember, was number six on my top 10 for 2023, There's Something Wrong with the Children. Now, I loved There's Something Wrong with the Children. Um, I thought it was fantastically handled. Uh, great tension all the way throughout. So this segment, Don't Fall, is... A lot more traditional horror than any of the other three segments of XX. And it it is a monster story. It's a pretty standard ancient evil cursed land kind of story. It had solid tension throughout. Excellent use of creature design. Uh, it is, it's, it's gory. It's scary. It's creepy. It, it is everything you really want horror to be it's not a whole lot to say about it it's well acted uh and i want to i'm gonna say it's my second favorite of the four sections i would put the box first this one second probably birthday party third and then our final little segment her only living son as the fourth and her only living son was written and directed by karen kusama who I'm not going to spend a lot of time on here because we just talked about her quite a bit in our Jennifer's Body episode. And we will definitely at some point in the future be covering The Invitation, which is also her film. So, you know, we've covered her already. But basically, her only living son asked the question, what if Dr. Hill from Rosemary's Baby believed Rosemary and helped her escape. Then what would happen? Instead of sending her back to the cult, 
so that the Antichrist can be born into this Upper West Side apartment building full of adorable old Satanists? What if he helped her escape and now she is a woman running from a past, a single mother trying to raise the Antichrist on her own? Uh, You know, just doing the best that a single mom can do, trying to make ends meet and keep off the radar, off of dad's radar. Uh, Anyway, it was it was a really good story. It wasn't I don't feel like it particularly hit horror, but it was again a, a an innately feminine story because single mom hiding from a bad dad is not just a story that we see a lot it's a story that happens every day but there is something about it happening every day that even though every single instance is tragic and terrible it's still mundane Ugh, god that hurts my heart to say that but it is it it's it's mundane it's way too commonplace to be that terrifying at least i think for a lot of women it's depressing is what it is it it really is just depressing and oh we've amped it up because dad is the devil and not just some abusive narcissist with a gun collection nah uh that guy is something that someone that lives in every community in every city everywhere across the u.s we've all at least met this guy and we just think he's you know part of the fabric of society that is how mundane this storyline is and yeah for that reason that makes it my least favorite of these four little vignettes The final thing I want to talk about is the interstitial segments that tie every single piece of this together. And it is an absolutely stunning piece of stop motion animation done by Sofia Carillo, who has won three Ariel Awards. Ariel? She has won three Ariel Awards, uh, which are Mexican movie awards. Uh, She's from Guadalajara, Mexico. And in 2023, Variety named her one of Mexico's top animation talents. This animation segment is so beautiful and so creepy and engrossing. It is absolutely worthy of its own credit apart from the other segments. Those spaces in between an anthology film like this can be tricky to deal with. And I feel like the way that this story breaks up across five sections, because it's the beginning of each of the four segments, and then there's a final uh, wrap up at the end. The way that this brings everything together and maintains its own storyline throughout, I feel like is absolutely beautiful. And as a writer has to be something that is uh, a challenge. I don't know about difficult, a challenge to work with. The idea that, you know, you have this story and it needs to tie to this next story that needs to tie to this next story that needs to tie to this next story. And it's the designer of these interstitial bits. Their job is to bring all of those together and make it into one coherent film. And she has done that so beautifully with this film. It is, yeah, it's my favorite part of the movie. And 
damn, yeah, now I got to go back on myself here. I just ranked him and totally forgot about it. That's that's the thing about these these segments, the this tie together piece is it, it's like the movie. The movie segments are the shoe and this these interstitial bits, these in between bits are just the shoelaces. But the shoelaces are super important. And I feel like they deserve their own call out. So if you are a fan of animation, particularly stop motion animation, I have so much respect for stop motion animation. That shit is hard. Just it's tedious and time consuming. And it's, you know, it's move a tiny thing and take a picture, move a tiny thing and take a picture, move a tiny thing and take a picture. It's amazing. Stop motion is absolutely amazing to me. Um, And she does such a beautiful job. I'm sure she has earned every single one of those awards. And I look forward to seeing her work in the future. So that is it for the Oops All Kelly edition of Terrifying Women. Um, personally, I was terrified, mostly by the daunting task of doing this all on my own. It, it was it was a lot. Thanks for hanging in there with me. I really appreciate it. Um, Hopefully, Mark's family will be settled soon and uh, back in good health and being just as ornery as they usually are. And we will be back with a happy hour episode sometime around the middle. Okay. I'm really shooting for the 1st and the 15th here as release dates. So with any luck, Mark will be back. We'll get that happy hour episode recorded and... Uh, it'll be released just after Valentine's Day. Okay, have a great February, I guess. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Terrifying Women. We are an independent podcast, so please like and subscribe and write a review. We would really appreciate it. We'd love to hear from you.